You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip-syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. another episode of the Family Gamers Podcast. This is episode 348. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the show. We are super excited for this one. It's going to be magic. Oh, 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 it's magic. You know. Magic games. <laughs> we're going to be talking about magical games this week. Second half of the show, we're going to talk about one game per person, kind of. Uh, we're going to have our kids on the show. It's going to be very exciting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're all going to pick something that we like. But who are those kids? Who are we? Hello, everybody. We are the Family Gamers. As always, I am your host, Andrew. And I am joined by my lovely and wonderful wife, Anitra. That's me. Well, all that magic stuff is the second half of the show. Before we get there, we've got a few things that we got to get through. The first of those it's is a fact. a fact. Yes. I have a fact. And I have once again gone to the Guinness Book of World Records. Okay. What do we got this time? All right, so this time we have the largest exposed sandstone monolith in the world. Okay. Now, there's a picture uh, that's linked in the show notes. It looks weird. It looks like somebody picked up this gigantic rock and dropped it in the middle of nowhere. It is called Uluru, also known as the Ayers Rock. It rises 348 meters above the surrounding desert plain in Northern Territory, Australia. It's about a mile and a half long and about a mile wide. And it's kind of like this random plateau in the middle of nowhere. Like it looks very strange. In fact, Anitra, you can click on the link that's yeah, in the show I, notes right now. And you I'm, can I'm see looking it. at it now. It's, I mean, it's got that striated sandstone look. Mm-hmm. It's a whole bunch of ridges. Uh, if you squint, it looks a little bit like a red sandstone Godzilla fell over. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's my fact for our episode number 348. 348 meters high. Mm-hmm. It's very cool. I will definitely link to that in the show notes if anybody else wants to see this very cool image. All right. And that's it for me. So uh, I'll hand it off to you for a message from our sponsor. As a reminder, First Move is letting us know how they would work with a young family earning a combined $100,000 a year with a net worth of about $25,000 and the goal of buying a home. An early topic to address with every client is their emergency fund. In this example, it seems like the couple is at that point where they finally feel like they're making progress, but they haven't saved enough for a home down payment, and they still have some debts hanging out. So one of the first things First Move Financial would challenge this pretend couple to do is to open a high-interest savings account and start putting a few hundred dollars a month into it. What they want to do is build a small emergency fund, because most emergencies can be handled with about $1,000. And at the same time, we're starting to get a feel for how much we can reduce their discretionary spending to save and pay down debt. With money going into savings, it can always be pulled back out. Once we find an amount where this couple is stretched but still comfortable, then they can start paying extra on their debts and make sure their credit score is in a good place to buy a house. If this couple sounds a lot like you... Or if this couple sounds nothing like you, but you're wondering what First Move Financial could do for you, 
Go to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers and set up a free call with the folks at First Move Financial to see what they can do for you. Thanks again to the team at First Move Financial for sponsoring another episode of the show. All right, Andrew, we are now at the point where we talk about what we've been playing. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, I look at my list and the game that comes up the most on my list for this past week is Unpublished Prototype. <laughs> <laughs> There's a reason for that. Yeah, usually you're the one who's playing a lot of unpublished prototypes, but I we mean, got in, many. and we talked about it a little bit, we got in the pre-production version of Avant Card, the game coming from Resonim. We talked about this like last week and maybe even the week before. I don't know. This game rules. It's so good. I would I could play this every day. This is the most fun deck builder I've played. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very easy to understand. It's very clear i mean abandoned all artichokes is a pretty good deck builder uh, yeah. game right and i would even say that this is probably a touch more complex than abandoned all artichokes yes i think it is but it's so well put together and explained and like the the pattern creation in this game this game is basically a blend of uno and quacks right you so you self build your uno like pile in front of you with sequence, the cards that yeah. you draw, your sequence, and then based on how well you do, you're able to purchase cards and, you know, keep doing it just like a deck builder. And as you get higher and higher, you get these point cards that come in, and that's pretty much the game. I don't know, man. I just really like it. It's really good. I love that there's alternate ability powers. You know, you can play with different sets of powers. Mm-hmm. Again, we've talked about this so many times. It's just a great game. I just love it. We finally tried it at four players. Yes. It did drag a little bit. And I don't know if that's because the game dragged a little bit of four players or if it's because our daughter was kind of not really into it that much. Well, she was also learning it for the first time. Yeah. And the, the rest of us were ready to jump in and, and get going. Right. But um, yeah, so that is probably the game I've played the most this past week. Maybe it might be tied for another one, but uh, it's really good. We have played Miller Zoo a couple more times. Oh, that game, another really good game. Yeah, I am really, really enjoying Miller Zoo. I'm hoping we can get at least halfway through the legacy aspects of it before I need to finish up our review for it. Mm -hmm. Miller Zoo is available for pre-order right now. It is coming out in just a couple of weeks, three, four weeks from the time of this podcast coming out. And I mean, it's a cooperative zoo game. It's got that legacy element that's just a light touch to legacy like a zombie kids evolution it makes for a great great family game and so far at every player count we've tried it has felt the same way like it doesn't feel way more open at two players or way more confined at four or five it flows really well at every player count that we've tried yeah, it does scale well. I mean, just like a lot of cooperative games, the bad stuff scales along with along the, with the player count, player count yeah. which makes a ton of sense. So, I know it's really fun. I kind of want to go visit the Miller Zoo. Uh, yeah, it's it's a halfway reasonable road trip from mm-hmm. where we are. I just don't know if we can make the time this summer to do it. Yeah, yeah. Also, it's far enough into Quebec that there's going to be a lot of French and not a lot of English when we get up there. <laughs> See that? I no, no. I have some Spanish. I have some German. I have zero French. I have enough French that I could interpret enough of the Miller Zoo website to be like, oh man, we would struggle a little bit 
if their presentation to tourists is the same as their website because there was no English on that site. Huh. Interesting. All right. Maybe we can uh, reach out to the folks that sent us the game and see if the folks <laughs> at Miller Zoo can speak English. Yeah, Miller Zoo is good. Uh, let's see. What else have I been playing? Well, we played Quingo. We did. It has been a really, really long time since we played that. Mm -hmm. But with the beginning of summer vacation, we took our kids out for breakfast and we went to the place we usually do our breakfast dates. So I had to bring a game with us yeah, and like I an obligation grabbed Quingo. In fact, when we walked in, I didn't realize I should have known that you brought games with you, but they actually asked like, oh, did you bring a game? And I'm like, nope, didn't bring anything. <laughs> and we sit down and of course, and Atria's pulling games out of her purse. She's got like one of those jackets that you open. It's like, you want to buy a board game? You know, it's kind of creepy. That's but... what button shy games are for, <laughs> man. Quingo's not a button shy game. Uh, Quingo's not a button shy game. It's a game right game. Although it's been out of print for like five years now. I know. Which is really too bad. That's a great, yeah. you know, simple game with not too many pieces. It's all in one small box. It's such a great restaurant game. Yeah, I is. I remembered that and that's why I grabbed it, but I had kind of forgotten how well it works. You name off a number when it's your turn and then you roll the die and the die tells you what column that number has to go in for everybody. And that's basically the game. Whoever fills a column first wins. So it's a combination of probability of trying to work out where is the best place to put any specific number and strategizing and saying, you know, like, what is a number that I can name off that I can put in most of these columns or that is going to be way easier for me to place than for the people around the place? Because the number is 100% your choice. Yep. Yeah. It's just very simple and straightforward and easy and it's good. It's a, yeah. it's a great game to keep in the collection. I'm glad we have it. And I really hope that it gets reprinted. Me too. Mm -hmm. A game that is pretty easily available right now, and we'll talk about a little bit more later, is Merchants of Magic. Mm -hmm. um, now that it's summer vacation, once again, our daughter specifically asked if we could play this together. So the two big kids and I sat down and played it and had a great time with it. It is still a great game. I love it. It's great. There's an expansion coming. I think that we might be able to snag a pre-Kickstarter copy of the expansion to be able to talk about it on the show and uh, encourage people to check it out. So we'll see whether or not that all works out. That would be cool. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, the only other game that I have on my list that we haven't talked about is another unpublished prototype. <sighs> yeah, this would be Andrew's prototype for the game that he's working on. Yep. It's finally a real playable prototype. Uh, okay, so here's the thing. So I don't really want to talk too much about this. Some people know a little bit more about this game. <sighs> the reason why we finally got back to it is because Asher, our middle, has this board game achievement list thing. We've done this every summer for like the last four or five years. I don't know where he gets this thing from. So I'm sure you know. It is the Game School Summer Challenge. We have talked about it in previous years. I love this challenge because it immediately gets my kids thinking about other things they can do with their summer vacation around board games instead of just like, oh, there's nothing to do. We could play a game, maybe, I guess. But this challenges you to do things like design a game and play the prototype. What are some changes you made? play a game with an adult that they played in their childhood, which actually led us to play my childhood favorite, Troke, in which I lost horribly. <laughs> uh, and Claire steamrolled everybody. 
all of these things are great and it all of these different challenges really get kids thinking. There's even a line in there for play an outdoor game like cornhole or hopscotch. So because of that, Asher had on his list something like play a board game that you designed or design a board game or something along those lines. Yeah. And so I was like, well, I mean, we could work on my game. He's like, sure. So we put the game on the table in its state that it was in. And I flat out told him, I was like, dude, the game's not done, but let's just play and just fill in some gaps. And it's funny because we've had board game designers on the show before. And when you kind of ask them for what's your advice, the first thing they always say is get it to the table as soon as possible. I think that's what Mike Giuliano had said was just get it to the table as soon as possible. I think that's what Rachel and Justin Blasky said was get it to the table as soon as possible. So I had been holding off on that because I just wanted to like get some semblance of the complete mechanics together before putting it on the table. Asher wanted to do this thing. So I was like, let's just put it on the table. So we put it on the table. It was not done at all in any way, shape or form, but we played it it anyway. It's still definitely not done. Oh, easy, easy. So we played it anyway we kind of toughed through some stuff. Like, we knew it was rough. It's fine. And we came out the other side having, you know, we called it a complete game because, like, you know, I guess, whatever. And I had a ton of changes. So today I sat down and I printed up all the cards for the game. So we printed all that stuff out. We made, you know, all the adjustments to the rules from that first play. And then, Anitra, you and I sat down to play it. Yeah, we did. Do you want to say anything about that? It's still definitely not done. It gave me a better appreciation for the times that I have played prototype games in the unpub at various conventions and stuff because we're getting going and I'm like, okay, wait, how, how does this work? Where can I do a thing? Because it's just, it's rough. Like you're working through numbers and stuff. And so you're response to that was you know what i'm only gonna write down a couple of the numbers here and the rest of it we're just gonna know and i'm like i i can't do that (laughs) so well hold on hold on hold on hold on when you say that you just mean like i've only written a couple of things on the player on the player boards and stuff i mean things that i as a player could quickly and easily reference rather than having to to ask you right because i don't have a printed rule book yet (laughs) and interrupt my own trying to understand how to play the game yeah But that said, having anything playable at all is a huge amount of progress, and I like the direction it's going in. I think I helped you identify some more big changes to make, but probably less big than the ones that you did after your very first play. Sure. All right. I'm going to ask you a question. Okay. I want a one-word answer. Okay. And I want you to be honest with me. All right. Did you think it was fun? Potentially. You said one word. <laughs> I had to come up with something that, that Okay. So so what I here's what I read from that. No, but it could be fun. Right. It okay. was not terribly fun, but I see where the fun is going to be. All right. All right. All right. Fine. Fine. So this is a game that is hopefully is like fifteen minutes a player, ages ten and up. That's what I'm shooting for here. Well, then we'll see if we get there. So Anyway, all right. So that's it. That's all I have for games that I've been playing. Do you have anything else you want to add? I do. I have one last thing, which is that I have now played Dice Hunters of Therian with the actual two-player rules. Okay. Is it better than it was when we played it? Yes. I mean, we had fun when the two of us played it 
with the standard rules, not realizing there was a second set for two players. Sure. It is definitely more fun with the specified changes that you make for two players. And that's good. It allows for a lot more back and forth because you actually have to win the bidding for a warrant twice in order to actually get it. So it allows for more of that, well, do I want to commit a lot of swords to this or do I want to commit coins? You know, how do I want to split up my dice as the different roles come up? In the way we were playing before, there was just a lot less of that. Sure. Do you have to win it twice in a row? Yes. But your second one doesn't have to be higher than your first one. You take all your dice back. I get that. Yeah. Yeah. So like if I won and then you won, are we back at neutral? Yes. Okay. So it's like a seesaw kind of thing. Well, it's when you win, if it comes back to you without the other person having won it, then you put your special little symbol on it. And if it comes back to you the second time without the other player having won it, then you take the warrant. So it's not exactly neutral. Somebody is always going to be, quote unquote, in the lead. Once a new warrant comes out, somebody's going to roll dice and commit some swords to claiming that warrant. But you can be a lot in the lead or a little bit in the lead. And a lot in the lead can still be taken down by a single set of dice. All right. I am not entirely seeing this, so I'm going to have to play it and figure it out. (laughs) Yeah, I I am not doing the best to explain it, but that's because I'm trying to not explain the entire game right now. (laughs) Sure, sure, sure. That's fine. That's fine. All right. Well, anyway... It's actually been a pretty decent week, I think, for playing games. The kids are out of school, so there's just a little bit more flexibility. A lot of the after-school activities have kind of ended, so looking forward to playing some more games this summer. Me too. All right, with that, why don't we welcome our new community members, and then we'll take a break. That sounds great to me. All right. I will start us off. I want to say welcome to Stephanie. Welcome to Matt. Welcome to Tony. Welcome to Eric. Welcome to Zia. Oh, and welcome to Heather as well. Yes, Heather the Board Gaming Mama yes. has joined the community. Woohoo! Yay! Head over to the post with this adorable, adorable dog saying, oh, hello, and uh, say hi, talk about some games, and have some fun. I think it's a husky. I don't know, but it it's kind of like a husky. Yeah, he's cute. Whatever he is, he's cute. All right, and with that, we'll take a break. We'll be right back. It's time to fill a farm with animals, and this time, we're going to do it in Stamp Farm. This is a snap review for Stamp Farm. Stamp Farm is a game by Walter Olbert, and it's published by DV Games. The box says it's for two to five players, ages six and up, and it plays in about 20 minutes. There's some art. Let's talk about the art in Stamp Farm. As you might guess, there are stamps in this game. They're cute. They're self-inking, and they're these big, chunky squares that line up really nicely with the squares on the player sheets. The colors and the animal symbols are the same on the stamps, the dice, and the scoring area at the bottom of the sheet. So no one is going to get confused about what does what. Even the tiles for the advanced play option have clear instructions, and each one gives an example through a picture of how they work. So Anitra... Let's talk about the mechanics of Stamp Farm. Set out five animal stamps and give everyone their own player sheet. The first player rolls all three dice, and then they reserve the one that they want, using the corresponding stamp to make a mark somewhere in their grid. 
All of the other players can choose from the two options presented by the two remaining dice. Everyone gets a chance to stamp. At three or more players, this means you'll sometimes have to wait for the stamp that you want to use. Then you're going to pass the dice to the next player. If a hay bale is rolled, that's a wild, and the player may use that to stamp any kind of animal they want. If you don't like your current choices for stamps, there are two spots in the barn that don't count towards final scoring. Let's talk about that final scoring. Your goal is to make connected groups of each animal type. At the end of the game, you count the animals in your largest group of each type. So if I've got a group of five sheep and a group of two sheep, I will score five for my sheep. If you have two groups tied for the largest, count them both. Here I have two groups of three cows each, so I score six points for my cows. A single animal by itself, sadly, is lonely and not in a group, and it scores zero points. After scoring all five animal types, the player with the most points wins. Now, Stamp Farm does have an advanced mode, which introduces a little bit more strategy. First, you'll actually be using the hay bale stamp. On its own, it's not worth points, but it may help you fulfill requests. Requests come in three types. Pick one request tile of each type before starting the game. Usually one that involves a hay bale placement, one that has relationships between animals, and one that wants certain animals to be next to the hedge. The hedge is the last change. We ignore it in the basic game, but in the advanced game, it separates squares that would otherwise be adjacent. Scoring the animals works exactly the same in the advanced game. But then you also score how well you did on the three requests to find out who is the best farm designer. <laughs> Well, that's how you play this game. What did we expect from Stamp Farm? Games that roll dice and mark off paper sheets can be really tough for young kids. Even if a kid understands the mechanics of a roll and write game, there's a lot of fine motor skills involved. Stamp Farm removes the need for writing or even coloring and replaces it with stamps, so it actually should be even more accessible for young kids. So when I first saw this game, I expected something really simple, sort of an introduction, a my first roll and write game. I was excited because you could tell from the beginning that this was going to be some kind of basically tile placement puzzle, but with stamps instead. Yeah. So what surprised us about this game? So I love how everything fits together in this game. It really gives a scaffolding for any player to get started right away. The simple mode feels like just the perfect fit for kids between four and six years old, but there are two issues, small issues. First, you still have to write down scores at the end and then add them all together. This isn't really an issue depending on your kid's age, but if they're younger, it could be a problem. The second problem is that this game just feels too long. It does take less than 20 minutes, but as an adult, I'm ready to be done with the game when we're maybe halfway, about... 10 to 12 stamps into the 20 that we'll do. We didn't get to play this with anyone younger than our nine-year-old, so maybe it's less of an issue with younger kids who still love to repeat actions over and over and over again, especially if they can use stamps to do it. Yeah, I actually think that's probably true. Younger kids do tend to find activities that they enjoy, and so if that's the stamping of the stamps, I think we're going to be okay there. Speaking of the stamps... They are fantastic in this They're game. Really they are great. so good. They are perfectly sized. They stamp really well, and they have lovely detail to them. I was honestly impressed with the quality of the stamps in the game. The yellow ink and the green ink can get a little hard to see, but that's 
a color issue, you're not going to make a yellow stamp that really stands out. Sure. I also really appreciated the advanced mode, which is actually, honestly, the only way that I played the game. <laughs> it's still accessible, though, to pre-reading kids while stepping up the strategy. They were so smart to make all of the even special gold cards pictures only, and you didn't need the words for them. Yeah. So, Anitra, do we recommend Stamp Farm? I think Stamp Farm could be a great choice for kids who are interested in grown-up games, but don't really have the patience for them yet. Oh, also for kids who love stamps. So what are we going to rate Stamp Farm from DV Games? Well, I think we're going to rate Stamp Farm for stamps out of five. And that's Stamp Farm in, in a, a snap. snap. And we're back. Anitra, the studio is really full of people right now. About as full as it ever gets, yes. <laughs> Where by studio, I mean, of course, my office. But we have... All of the Family Gamers family here, the biological Family Gamers family, that is. And uh, we're going to talk about some games that have some kind of magic in them, some magical games. So I pulled each of the children ahead of doing this episode, so they had some time to kind of ruminate and think about what games they really like with magic in them. So there are things like Via Magica and Potion Explosion that are definitely games our family enjoys with magic in them. But that's not the games that our children came up with. Did you tell our kids to go to their roommates? No. No? Okay. no that was you. No. <laughs> yeah, that's something I would do. Okay. All right, well, why don't we um why don't we go I guess youngest to oldest, which means that I'm going to go last in this whole thing. Yes, it is. Yeah, Aww. but we're going to start with our 8-year-old because you're still 8. <sighs> for like 4 more days or something like that. And uh Elliot why don't you tell us what your favorite tabletop game is that has to do with magic? Um, my favorite tabletop game that has to do with magic is literally Magic the Gathering because it has magic in the name. And I think it's really fun because, like, it takes long enough that I don't have to, like, sit and wait after the game for whatever I'm waiting for. Plus... It's a strategy game, but it's also not. What do you mean it's also not? What does that mean? Because, like, you can strategize if you want to, but you can also not. But if you don't strategize in Magic the Gathering, you're probably going to lose. Yeah, that's true. Um, but you'll still have fun. Maybe. And the nice thing about it is I can just walk up to Asher and be like, hey, you want to be like Magic? And he'll be like, yeah, sure. Is that because Asher likes Magic? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. All right. Well, it sounds like it might be time to ask Asher what his favorite magical game is. Unless there's something else you wanted to say, Elliot. No. Okay. On to Asher. Well, so if I'm being completely honest, mom came up with this one. I agreed with it. And then Elliot stole it. But <laughs> I love Magic Together. Okay. Why? I just love doing the strategy. Honestly, my favorite kind of game is probably the super long ones that feels like you actually get to do a lot in them. So magic is included in that. I agree with that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, I also like Pokemon. But once I heard of magic, then I was all in. Because magic <laughs> is like <laughs> magic is like Pokemon's older brother, basically. I mean, it didn't hurt that you had someone in the family who was willing to give you, I don't know, like a thousand cards to get started. 
Roughly. <laughs> so Elliot and Asher both have the opportunity to play with Dad's old cards. He took all the expensive ones out and sold them, but they get all the all the rest of them. All the mediocre ones. <laughs> There's some okay ones in there, but anyway. <laughs> Anything else about Magic the Gathering? I don't think so. Asher, what are your favorite colors? So let's get a little nerdy here. What are your favorite colors to play in Magic? Uh, I don't play black very often, but I feel like I, I do have a mono black deck, and I feel like if you've played enough of black, then black is like if you're just starting with a black deck, then you'll lose a lot. But then once you get experience, then you'll win a lot. So it's a more complicated color to play? Yeah. Okay, cool. But I think I think a good color for just like you don't really know what you're doing is probably just like a mono white. Okay, but what's your favorite? I really like uh, blue red. Ah. Okay, sure. <laughs> a young man after dad's own heart. Elliot, what about you? Do you uh, have a favorite color or color combination that you play in Magic? My favorite is black because I wouldn't say I'm super experienced, but I'm experienced. <laughs> I I wouldn't say that. Everybody but... else in the room is laughing, but that's okay. You can be experienced. He's experienced at being an annoying younger brother. Is that what you mean? <laughs> that's what you mean, right? Yeah. W- one could also say he's experienced at losing. <laughs> oh, oh ouch. ouch. Shots fired. Ouch. But anyway, if I want to absolutely destroy someone... I would want to make probably a red and white deck. Okay. Okay. All right. And Asher, one more question for you. What's your favorite style of magic to play? Do you like regular magic? Do you like commander? What do you play and who do you play with? I've played the most regular magic, partly because you don't have a commander deck to play against me. But That's because I don't build magic decks anymore and commander didn't exist when I stopped playing magic. So there we go. I mean, I guess, I guess that's fair. But I also like commander those are really the only two types that I've tried. I do want to try a uh, draft or whatever it's called where like you open the packs and then you make a deck from the from the cards from the packs. Sure. Sure. I also want to try uh THT two-headed troll or two-headed giant where it's basically 2v2 but you share life. Sweet. Yep. Yep. All right, well if anybody out there has some recommendations for some burgeoning magic players, you know how to get a hold of us. That only leaves one more kid to weigh in on their favorite game. Uh, favorite magic game. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. That's it, what it's, I meant. That's it's what getting I meant. up there to favorite game for, for this child, I think, who will also object to me calling her a child. <laughs> She's an old teenager now. <laughs> um, but let's, let's hear from Claire about what her favorite game with magic is. Hello. I've not been on the show in a while. <laughs> <laughs> But I would have to say that my favorite magical game is Merchants of Magic. Ah, I'm so happy to hear that. Really a girl after dad's own heart. Yes. Why? What do you like about Merchants of Magic? Well, I do like the roll and write aspect of it, which is like the main mechanic of the game. But it feels different than every other roll and write that I've played. Okay. Why? I think part of it is that the sections that you're filling are smaller, and then you can combine the sections to make things. Okay. Did you know that they're working on an expansion? I had heard about that. All right. Because Dad told you. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, what do you do? You prefer to play it solo? Because this is famously on the Family Gamers podcast one of the first games that I played more solo than with people. I have actually never played this game solo. Oh well, you should try it. In fact, you could go do it right now if you want. Hmm. We'll see about that. All right. 
Well, Anitra, I guess that leaves you and me. Uh, thank you to all of our children for participating. <laughs> they are running away as fast as possible. Ah, the studio feels normal again. Okay. So much snark. Yeah. So you are uh, next, my dear, my love. So my favorite game with magic, I think it has to be Athenium Mystic Library. Mm, this game is really good. It just, it just feels really good. I mean, it combines magic, which is interesting, with books and how to organize them, which just speaks to me. <laughs> um, okay. But I feel like the theming is done really well. It's about a library, but it's obviously a magical library because things move around and you've got candles and you've got these awesome, awesome titles to the books, which are hilarious. Yeah, I mean, this is a renegade title, right? So they yeah. did Ex Libris, which also had hilarious book titles. Of course, we've also been playing Illiterati recently, mm -hmm, which mm -hmm. also has hilarious book titles. <laughs> I, I mean, yes, that's true. But I feel like Athenium just does it really well because it fits down into a game that is uh, fairly short and really about shelving the books. Whereas those other two games, like, yes, you do look at the books occasionally, but they're kind of a sideline to what else is going on. Okay. I also really love the way that Athenium, all of your actions that you choose to do affect the people on either side of you too, which I think is really cool and really adds into that theme of like, you're all doing this together, except you're all trying to not get caught because you're students in the library after hours. <laughs> well, if that's your favorite, I'm glad because that is a game that I would gladly play with you whenever you ask. Okay, great. That brings it to me, huh? It is now your turn. I hope you've had enough time to think about. So, all right. I'm going to do the hedging thing that the family gamers are so well known for. Um, shame, I, shame, I feel shame. like I feel like everybody expects my answer to be role player, right? I mean, it is a game that has magic in it, but I feel like that's kind of a lame answer because it's not really like a core part of the game. Sure. Is that fair? Yeah, so, I, I get it. As much as I love role player, that is not going to be my answer to this question. Okay. And that's why I mean I'm kind of hedging. The game that I am going to pick, and I mean, there's a lot of, like, magic is such a broad thing, right? So right. there's so many games that I could touch on. Like, I was thinking about this earlier today. Ethnos is a game that clearly has magical creatures in it, but, like, what you're doing doesn't really have anything to do with magic. So, like, I didn't really want to pick Ethnos, even though I really like that. You mentioned Potion Explosion earlier. Mm -hmm. Another mm -hmm. great game that, like, kind of has magic in it, but it's, like, I don't know. It's different because it's, like, chemistry stuff, right? Like, Quacks. Right. Quacks is the right. same kind of deal where it's like clearly like weirdly magical, but it's like a chemistry thing. So I, I didn't want to pick any of those games. So the game that I landed on is actually a game that also has the word magic in its name. Okay. And What's that is Magic Maze. Okay. Magic Maze is this great one to eight player game. It's a cooperative game where you're not allowed to talk, right? It's so it's one of those games. Mm -hmm. And there are four characters on this map, and there's a stack of tiles, so the map starts as one tile, and as you move around, you reveal various tiles, and they get progressively more complicated as you play through more and more sessions of this game. The thing about it that's interesting, I said one to eight players, but I also said four characters. So nobody owns any of the characters themselves. Anybody can control any character. What people own is particular movements. So you could, say, move anybody west, but the only thing you could ever do is move someone west. And so without communicating, everybody has to reach in and get all of these characters to grab these various 
things like to hit certain individualized endpoints and then escape this mall because you're basically stealing things in a mall yeah and as it gets more complicated there's you know doors that only the orange guy can go through or things that only the purple guy can do because the orange guy is like a warrior and the purple guy is a mage or something i don't remember it doesn't really matter i think the green is an archer whatever but there's all these rules that get layered on as you go along in the game. So when you start, it's very straightforward. It's very simple, which is important because people don't have a clue what the heck they're doing because they've never seen a game like this before. Mm-hmm. But over time, it gets progressively more complicated. And one of the things I love about this game, there's this red pawn. What you're supposed to do is if you need somebody to make a move, because you can't say anything, you're supposed to take the pawn and put it in front of them. And Anitra, that's not how we use the pawn. I mean, it is, but it's also not. The pawn is the do something pawn. And so you put it in front of a person. And if they haven't really been paying attention, you kind of start slamming it down in front of them over and over again. I picture it almost like a little Grogu hitting the button in his robot. Like, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. Yes, yes. <laughs> right. Or like a gavel, right? Because like, yeah. that's the noise it makes is like the gavel noise yeah. because the big, big hunk of wood. But um, yeah, so that's the game that I picked for this. I just think it's unlike basically anything else. Like all these games like Magic the Gathering. I mean, like it's a it's I mean, clearly Richard Garfield, legendary game designer. Uh, yeah. Made an incredible game that has stood the test of time over the course of the last 25 years in Magic the Gathering. Maybe even 30 years at this point. 30-ish. Yeah. Merchants of Magic. I'm very on record as saying that this game is absolutely fantastic. I love it to death. Athenium, another game that I really, really like. But I don't think either one of those games is doing particularly revolutionary things they're just putting them together in a smart and good way Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. magic maze is really doing some unique things and especially when it came out like some of this stuff is a little bit more common now but especially when that game came out there was nothing like it nothing i agree so that's my pick for this one all right very cool i didn't even go into like the whole i just find this game magical Uh, i thought about it though But like I said before, like there's lots and lots of games that are magical. So I'm sure that the people listening to this have some ideas on games that they think are magical that we might not have mentioned because we only mentioned five, but also like ten. Four or five. (laughs) Yeah. So you, listener, please write into us and tell us about your favorite magical game. The place we would love for you to do that is in our Facebook community. Go to thefamilygamers.com slash community or look in the show notes It'll take you right there. I will even make a post in the community to ask about it, and you can click on the show notes and go right there. You can also tell us on all of the social media. Yep, that's right. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, at Family Gamers AA. You could even email us your answer, which we would still love and would probably read on the air in a future episode, as long as you give us permission. I am Anitra at thefamilygamers.com. I am Andrew at thefamilygamers.com. If you liked hearing from our kids, you might also like wearing a t-shirt that one of them designed. Our daughter came up with this balanced life design that a balanced life is a meeple in one hand and a video game controller in the other. I'm Mm -hmm. misquoting it horribly right now, (laughs) but I do really like it. And we have it on a t-shirt. You can buy it from our merch store at thefamilygamers.com slash merch. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show, tell your friends about the show, and leave us a review at Apple Podcasts or whatever your podcast subscription source is. You can also find us on Amazon Music, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. Tell your friends, tell your enemies, tell anybody you know who has kids in their lives that they like to play (laughs) games with.
The Family Gamers is sponsored by First Move Financial. Go to firstmovefinancial.com slash familygamers and learn how the team at First Move Financial can help you pile up the victory points. Thanks so much to the team over at First Move Financial for sponsoring the Family Gamers podcast. Well, I think that's going to be it for us this week. I would love to go play some magical games. Well, I tell you what, Anitra, I think we are working on an awesome interview for next week, which is going to be really, really exciting. And And also magical. Hopefully also magical. Yay! (laughs) So we're going to play some magical games. We're going to line up some cool stuff for next week. And until then, everybody, play play games games with with your your kids. kids.